Ready? Well, some good, that was, that was rich. Thank you. That was so good. Each one of those songs brought back good memories. Those are rich words. Rich words. Well, if you'll open your Bibles as we get settled here, I'm going to read the passage all together uh, at once, and then we'll pray, and then we'll uh, dig back into Acts chapter 9 here tonight. Glad to have you all here tonight. It's good. So let's uh, open up to Acts 9, and I'll read all the way through to verse 31. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here am I, Lord, or here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Okay. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Imagine that. <laughs> what a change. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, 
But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Can you blame them? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, the the Greek-speaking Jews. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and set him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, just another chance to dig into this this. Uh, time in church history, in the early church, God, where we see you uh, continuing to build your church and to advancing your kingdom, to, to continue your, your uh, predetermined plan to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and, and then you providing a man who would accomplish that. We thank you for men like Stephen and Philip who, who went from Jerusalem and into the environs, the, the environs around there, and we see the more bridges being built. But now we have the man that you chose, Saul, later Paul, Lord, to be the man who would carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, to see your plan be accomplished. Not finished, but Lord, we, we get to enjoy to just seeing your power on display through your people as you advance your kingdom, building by the Holy Spirit, this kingdom, God. And I just pray that we would learn, that we would be challenged, even in our own, not just in our faith, but even in our, in our uh, just commitment to you and our commitment to be people who are your light in this world. These are, are real people. These, these people we see in the story here, and, and they had the same fears and hopes and dreams, and God, we see them being changed by your gospel, and Lord, we see them being made uh, just into your instruments to carry out your plans. So Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged and inspired and challenged to think about our own lives, to be your instruments to advance your kingdom. So Lord, we pray for your blessing now as we continue to walk through this story, and may you be glorified. In, in our service here tonight, but in our lives throughout the week, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not going to open with an illustration because I took too long last week doing that, and we're just going to dig right into this. We only got to verse uh, 9 last week. I know, we're only to verse 9, so I want to keep us moving forward. That, that's the danger with all these, with the, with the narrative as it is, is that you, you just think of different stories, because this is a story of a real man, but there's touch points throughout, you know, to other parts of scripture that it reminds you of. For instance, how did Paul escape at the end of this passage from Damascus? Not the end, but towards the end. In a, in a what? Who else was delivered in a basket? Moses. Moses. So, I mean, there's things like that that'll pop up that, you know, you can go on these, you know, really fun rabbit trails, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> so that's the danger of this, but it's not the danger. It's just interesting to see how so many things like Ananias' comment, here I am, Lord. Well, that takes you back to Samuel. Little Samuel is a young man, 
And so there's things where you just see God's plan moving forward and him accomplishing his, his plan of redemption. But here in, in, in Acts, this particular time, we're seeing it really, I keep saying this, it's a book of transitions. It's going from the, the, God, the, the people of God being the Jews in Israel and the one place you could worship God and bring sacrifices was there, was there in Jerusalem at the temple. That was, that was absolutely true. That was the one place you were allowed to do it. But then Jesus came and changed everything. And so in the book of Acts, we, we really see how God is proving to the Jews, to this early church, that the gospel is meant to go outside and it's not centered in the temple anymore. Jesus gave hints of that, right? The temple wasn't the key thing. What's the key thing? In Christianity, it's Jesus. He's the key, not the temple, not the sacrifices. He's the one. Everything pointed to him. And so in Acts, we see in the different sermons, there's defenses of this gospel and how it's transitioning. The new covenant really is new, and it has ramifications. But people have to be carried along and helped along. Think about the, the early church. They were primarily made up of what? What ethnicity? Jews, right? And, and the, it, the gospel was first preached in Jerusalem, and it says that devout Jews heard the gospel. So we have a particular type of Jew. Well, they're real people with real baggage, real prejudices. So that's why we've taken time to help you understand that they really did not like Hellenistic Jews. There was suspicion about the purity of their religion because they were Hellenized. You know, they're out there in the world, so who? And then we've got the Samaritans. Now, you know, a little, if you've heard the Gospels and Jesus telling the Good Samaritan, you probably heard about their hatred of the Samaritans. But we have to understand the Christian church struggled with that too. These Jewish Christians would struggle with that, right? And so we just, there's so many things that had to happen to help them transition to the next phase of God's plan to get away from Jerusalem, out of Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Because the biggest obstacle to overcome is the Gentile world, right? In the Old Testament, you wanted to become a follower of the true God. You had to come to Israel, and you had to become a Jew, essentially. You had to take on the, the food regulations, the Mosaic law, right? You had to get, if you're a male, you had to get circumcised. And so we just see that there's, there's a lot of things that are changing now. And, and these, these men and women had to be helped along, and God had to show them. The apostles struggled with it. If you read Galatians chapter 1 and 2, you'll see that Peter and Barnabas, and we'll see that when we get to Acts 15, Peter and Barnabas even failed later on because they were men and these people, they're just like us. So this is a, a, such a great book to help us realize these are real people and we see the patience of God and yet we see the power of God and we see the people being redeemed and transformed. Not just Paul who's going from being a, a violent hater of the church, persecutor, to becoming a proclaimer, going from a, a wild wolf, I talked about that last week a, a little bit, to being a sheep, right? So we see transformations like that. But then we also in the church, we see people being transformed past their prejudices. And I'm using that word a lot because it's kind of a big deal in our current culture. But folks, it's been a big deal all along. Wherever there's people, there's sin. Wherever there's people, there's people who want to be better than others and want to find a way to look down on others. 
the, the, the biggest place you see this, I was a youth pastor, so I dealt with this all the time, were the cliques in high school. Well, it's in junior high too, right? We have our cliques because we've got to feel safe. We'll be better than that. You know, we have to guess it. it all adults are grown-up junior hires. <laughs> I don't mean that to be silly, but it's true. We just are better at masking it. We'll call it other things. So just remember what's happening here in Acts is God having to open the eyes to these Jewish Christians and is more committed to what the new covenant really is and what are the main things about this gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means and how it applies and so in chapter 9, this is a pivotal chapter because this man becomes the dominant force for the next 30 years or so in the early church and really transforms the history, you know. Besides Jesus, he's probably one of the most impactful people in the, in the history of the church. So all that being said is just don't forget there's transitions going on here because there's certain things that happen here that are not... Uh, normative. When, when uh, the devout Jews on the day of Pentecost became Christians, what accompanied their, their, that day? What was the big thing that happened? Tongues. Well, it was, it was a rushing wind, and then they're speaking in tongues, but it's intelligible languages they've never learned. People from around the world are hearing it, hearing it in their own language. Well, if that's the norm, how come it doesn't happen now every time we preach the gospel and someone becomes a Christian? because that's not the norm. You know, when, when, the, when uh, you know, different people become Christians at different times, it says that they began speaking tongues, and what did that do for the apostles? Oh, they received the gospel just like we did. Oh, they're in too, just like us. But you don't see that every single time someone becomes a Christian in the book of Acts. So we just have to be careful that we, that we understand this is not normative because there are whole branches of Christianity that say, well, you, once you become a Christian, you have to also evidence signs of what? The manifestations of the Spirit. For many, it said, if you don't speak in tongues, you haven't been saved. It's like, well, but, you, but in here, it doesn't say when Paul became a Christian, did he start speaking in tongues? No. I mean, there's several places where it didn't happen. So when we're looking at narrative, we have to be careful. We read the story, but then recognize what if it's a narrative, because this is narrative. We just have to remember, okay, is this normative for the rest of the church for all time, or is it particular to that time and place? We have to be careful in our hermeneutics. Okay, so as I walk through it, you'll hear me mention things about that. Okay, so back to the story. So we're going, remember in the Gospels, Jesus, when there's big turning points in any of the Gospels, in John it was... Or, I mean, in Luke, it's where he does, it's the Mount of Transfiguration. It's also in Matthew. All of a sudden, it says that Jesus, he's up in Galilee. It says he sets his face towards Jerusalem. And so he goes from upper Israel towards Jerusalem. Why does he go, why does he set his face towards Jerusalem? For the crucifixion. This is what I came to accomplish. It was, it's time, right? So in Luke, you see him start going, and then he gets crucified. But in the book of Acts, they go out from Jerusalem. That's the whole point. There's a change here. We go out with the gospel now. It goes, it goes in the Old Testament from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, okay? We're going from people groups, and I've already mentioned, but we're going from devout Jews, primarily in Jerusalem. Then we're going to Hellenistic Jews, Acts chapter 6 and 7, those who had come to Jerusalem during the Passover feast, but they were Hellenized, but we see them being incorporated. 
Then we see uh, uh, the Samaritans. Philip goes up to Samaria, about 50 miles away. And there's the gospels presented, and they start being brought in, and the apostles come up, and they see the true conversion. And so they come under the authority of the church. So the Samaritans are brought in, not to start their own temple, their own version of it. No, they are Christians now under the authority of the apostles. But the Jews are saying, wow, the gospel's for them too. Then an Ethiopian eunuch who was a God-fearer, a proselyte, to Judaism. He was a God-fearer. He, he was somebody who was worshiping the true God. Well, then he meets Philip, and he reads, he's reading out of Isaiah 53. Talk about the gospel. <laughs> Philip explains it to him. He says, I'm in, and he gets baptized. Well, that's, that's huge, because remember, in Deuteronomy, there was prohibitions against eunuchs being able to go to the inner courts, because they had a mutilation on their body. This is, uh, wait, he's fully in. When he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, he's fully in. He got baptized. That's another thing in the Jewish mind. They're like, they'd be hearing this going, what? But that's the point. The new covenant is radically new. The spirit, it's not, it's not written, you know, the law is not written on tablets of stone, but now it's it's written in your hearts. The Spirit's applying it to us. He's inside us, indwelling us, empowering us, sealing us for salvation. It's a whole new ballgame. And then finally, the, the biggest obstacle, which now comes on the radar, is the Gentile, the Gentile world. This, this chapter is devoted to the man that is God's chosen instrument. Jesus even says that. And then we'll see in chapters 10 and 11, Cornelius. All right, so we're getting to that. I'll leave that for now. But that's, that's a big hurdle, and it's momentous. And then after that, the gospel just explodes into the Gentile world. All right? So we see the gospel just crossing all kinds of boundaries. And now we have uh, Paul going from the fierce persecutor to the fearless proclaimer, right, of the gospel. It's amazing. And, and we, last week, we took some time to go into his background. I didn't just hop into the passage and said, well, what, what was, he was part of the Pharisaical party, right? And, and so we went, looked at some of that. But so let me just summarize real quickly on that, all right? So the man chosen by Christ, this is under Saul, the man on your outline, if you're following that. Uh, the man chosen by Christ, uh, he, was, he, was, he was chosen by Christ to be the, his chosen instrument to carry uh, of mine, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. It's from Acts 9. And then he himself called himself an apostle to the Gentiles. He recognized that was his role from Romans eleven thirteen and other places. He also did preach to the Jews, right? Romans 1, 16 and 17, he says the gospel is what? First to the Jew and then to the Gentile, right? And so that was his pattern. He'd go into a city and where would he start? The synagogues. All right? And we'll talk about this, this particular man because he had access to both worlds, and that's why he's such an unusual man. But he'd go to the Gentile world. That was his main focus. Romans 15 and 16 says this, Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Think about that. The priestly service, who are the priests functioning with? And what was the, who was their, who did they deal with in the Old Testament? The Jews. But he's saying his ministry to the Gentiles is a priestly service. It's changing. The priestly service of the gospel of God so that 
the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's how he saw himself. That's his role is to go to the Gentile world to be able to bring them as an offering to God, these people being brought into the family. Peter, you know, he, he was called the apostle to the Jews and Paul the apostle to the Gentiles, Galatians 2.7. I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. Now, Peter, right away you're thinking, well, if he's the gospel to the, the, the you know, apostle to the Jews, well, who preached to Cornelius? Peter did, right? Well, why not Paul? Why wasn't Paul the man? He, he, was, he was not part of the original 12. Peter was the spokesman. So it had to be that man, Peter, had to be the one to get the vision from God, be told, hey, this is, you, things are changing here. And we'll get into that more later about the dietary laws, the vision that he had and how earth-shattering that was. But, but we, see Paul, we see, also see other apostles. They preached to Gentiles too, but primarily Paul to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews. But again, this man, this Paul, well, Saul at this point, he, he could stand in two worlds, right? So he has the Jewish side of him. He was called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? He was born to Jewish parents. He was part of the, the party of the Pharisees, according to Philippians 3.5. He was taught by Gamaliel. Do you remember that name? The number one, he's one of the big, most well-known teachers of the Pharise- of, in the Sanhedrin. He was well-known, so he was, he was trained at the feet of Gamaliel, is what he said. And he was able to walk into the synagogue because he understood the culture and, the, and, the, and the, the scriptures. So he had access, and he knew what to do, and, and he had access there. But he also had access to the Hellenized world. He, learned, he was, grew up and learned in Tarsus, a, a university city. He had the ability to reference philosophers from that, from that world's literature. You see it in several places. We see it in, in Titus. He quotes from the, uh, the, what philosopher was the philosopher in Titus that he quotes? That, the Cretan philosopher. Some of the girls are memorizing the book of Titus. <laughs> and he was a Roman citizen. So here's a man that could walk in two worlds. But here, little touch point here for all of us. God uses us just the way we are. I'm not talking about our sin. I'm talking about, you know, that we have to be redeemed from that and all that. But he uses us in our own particular ways, our, our, the things we like to do, our, our passions, our, our intellectual abilities. Some people, I will, you know, you can reach people that I cannot reach, and I can reach people that you can't. But that's the way it's supposed to be. No one is supposed to be able to do everything. There's only one person who could do that. A Jesus. <laughs> Don't try to be Jesus. Be you. Point people to Jesus, but find that just the people that you have in your sphere of influence, in your lives, those are the ones that you are supposed to reach. Reach them. Don't wait to go on a missions trip out of the country to start sharing the gospel. You're meant to be here on purpose to reach the people God's put you around. Right? It, but Paul is an example of that. Stephen's an example of that. He didn't, it didn't say, oh, and Stephen was selected to be the minister to the Hellenistic Jews in Jerusalem. No, it said that he was, he was selected to be a deacon to take, well, it wasn't called a deacon, but he was there to solve a problem in the church where the Hellenistic Christian widows were being you know, neglected. 
But why was he chosen? Because he was a faithful man already of good repute in the church body. He was just being himself, learning and growing and serving. And then he was able, he, was, he had such good reputation, he was selected one of the seven to be the, who helped take care of that problem within the church. But that wasn't the only thing he was supposed to do because we see him, he was, he, the whole thing, reason Acts 7 happened where he was put on trials because just as the way he did things, he was, just, he was talking to you know, Hellenistic Jews about Jesus. And that's how God, you know, he, 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 was the, he became the catalyst to push the church out of Jerusalem. He was just being faithful. Philip, we see him going to Samaria. Why? Samaria. Why? Well, because he, he, got, he was being persecuted, so he was on the run. So what does he do? He preaches along the way. What happens then? Well, people become Christians. He was just being faithful. And then the Holy Spirit says, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I have another job for you to do. Oh, okay. Transports him about, oh, 100 miles like that. And now he's running alongside a chariot, and he gets to share the gospel. These are just people being faithful. Ananias, in the story today, we don't hear of him after this. But he plays a very important role. But, so for, for three days, he plays a really important role, maybe for three years, because Paul ends up being in the Damascus in that area for three years before he goes to Jerusalem. We'll see that in a second. Again, I'm, I know I'm taking time on this, but I want you to hear and say, Ananias was just being faithful. So, folks... What do we learn from just this portion? Just be faithful. Serve God. Keep growing. Keep thinking, Lord, I want to be used by you today. Every day you wake up, folks, you've been given another day to serve God and enjoy this life he's blessed us with. Yeah, there's trials and all that, but that's still good. It's under the control of God. Right? So here we go. We're back into this. Now, I know I get off this, but I want us to see this. All right? All right, here we go. Um, <clears throat> where am I? Here we go. So Saul, again, we're, we're going to just briefly talk about what we already talked about last week. He meets Jesus on the road, right? He's, he's, bringing, he's bringing his rage on the road, right? He, he has to travel 150 miles to Damascus. Back in the day, that was, that was not easy. If you're on horse, it's going to take you at least three days if you push hard. He's in an entourage, so maybe four days. He's pushing it. And remember, this is probably months after the Passover and the resurrection, so it's probably the end of summer, maybe even to fall. How many of you have been to Israel? Okay, Israel's like Southern California. It's hot during the summer and fall. Okay, I'm just trying to set the stage, right? We have to think about what it's like. So he's on the road to Damascus, and it's, it's hot. It's middle of the day, and then boom, he's knocked off, his horse by, off of his horse by what? A bright light. It was a huge... Matter of fact, it's the, it says in, in Acts 22 or 23 that it was noon. So it was high noon, but so bright was this light from heaven, it knocked him off his horse. And he has this encounter with Christ. And he's like, uh, who are you, Lord? It's like, this is me or your person. This is Jesus. Notice when he... Again, I talked about this last week, but don't miss this, that when the church was persecuted, Jesus says it was hey, Paul, you're persecuting me because we are, what, what are we called? The what of Christ? The bride of Christ. We're called the brothers of Jesus, family. So close is his tie with his church. But he's telling Paul, and Paul's like, uh, oh. <laughs> he calls, and he, he recognizes he's Lord, and he's like, oh, you're Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> 
You guys, what do you think went through Paul's mind? Shock and awe. <laughs> you know, again, it says later that Ananias is told, you know, hey, go, go, you'll go find him at the house of Judas on the street called Straight, and he's praying. <laughs> what do you think Paul is praying about? It says that he didn't eat or drink for three days. He's fasting, he's praying. He's rehearsing scripture. Remember, when, when after the crucifixion and resurrection, we have the two disciples walking away from Jerusalem. They're all discouraged, right? And then Jesus shows up to them. They don't recognize him. What does he have to do? It says that he opened up the scriptures to them. They, and then they saw it all fresh. And then when he sat, sat down to eat and he broke bread, so their, their eyes were open like, oh, and he's gone, right? But think about that, that yeah, they have to rehearse. He was rehearsing the scriptures. Because remember, Pharisees memorized a good part of the Old Testament. Well, we, they didn't call it the Old Testament. Matter of fact, the early church didn't call it the Old Testament. What they call it? The scriptures, right? And we'll all just use the word Hebrew scriptures for us. He memorized good chunks of it. I mean, we're proud when we memorize a few, few chapters. I mean, that's like, wow. They memorized books and books. At least the Torah, the first five books. That's a lot of scripture. Do you think he's going through it again? He's blind. He can't read. They didn't have Braille back then, so he's rehearsing Scripture and just going, oh my goodness, that Jesus. Because remember, he heard Stephen's sermon. Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7 it is biblical to the core, and it defends Christianity. Jesus is the one, right? Again, I, 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 I believe that Paul, Saul, would have been on the Temple Mount during Passover hearing Jesus in his final week. Because remember, who did he condemn in Matthew chapter 23? The Pharisees, publicly. Remember, this is the biggest feast of the year, the Passover. The historians of that time say that it, Jerusalem would swell up with Jews from around the world. The Pharisees, they're part of the religious big guys. Do you think they're there? Absolutely. Paul being, or Saul being a student of Gamaliel, the number one teacher, I think he was there doesn't say that, so forgive me if he wasn't. We'll find out when we get to heaven, right? But I'll bet you he knew what Jesus taught. Remember, it said that there was, there was different religious leaders in Matthew 22 before this final encounter that were trying to test him. Do you think he would have known those questions and then Jesus' response? It says no one dared, after Jesus in Matthew 22, it says no one dared ask Jesus more questions because he answered them well, so well and then threw one at them that they couldn't answer without agreeing that Jesus was right, and they wouldn't do that. Okay, so all that being said, <laughs> so, so we have Paul being confronted, saying, oh my goodness, Stephen was right. Oh my goodness, Jesus is Lord. Oh my goodness, i got to think this all through again. And so when he writes, for instance, in Corinthians, saying that, that Jesus, he was an offense to the Jew. He, he, he was a stumbling stone to the Jews. He knew that because he had stumbled over Jesus. He was offended by Jesus. What was the main offense? He called himself God, and he called himself Messiah. But why was the Messiah claim something that they just couldn't accept? Because how did he die? On a cross, Deuteronomy 18 says, he who dies on a tree is cursed by God. They consider the cross a tree. How could the Messiah be cursed by God? Jesus, you're not God. Matter of fact, blasphemer calling yourself God. He stumbled over him. He meets him on the road to Damascus. Uh, 
I'm jumping ahead of the story. What was the first thing he preached? It says immediately he began to preach about Jesus. What did he say? Jesus is the Christ. What did we say? He is the Son of God. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But again, don't miss what's happening in this mind. What would it do to you? I mean, his world is being rocked. Remember, he was violently hating the church. So much so, he was taking people to go. And in Jerusalem, he was going house to house, dragging men and women to prison. He had presided, it looks like, over the stoning of Stephen. Matter of fact, you know, the words used, the words used to describe his hatred and, and what other people said of what he was doing, we'll see this later. It's like he, they were using language that while of describing wild animals, tearing, tearing and ravaging. And all of a sudden, he's preaching Jesus is the one. He's, he's, he's been hit off of his horse and captured. He's confronted. He's now, instead of wanting to, to make others submit to him and, and carry them into bondage, he's now got a new master. He's in bondage. He's submitting to this, to this Christ. <laughs> Rage on the road is just what, when I think of what he did. Uh, this man just grasped. And, and was he seeking after Jesus? No, he was not. So what is this a, a, a picture of? It's the sovereign mercy and grace of God and salvation. He proves election. He was not seeking after God. <laughs> the king sought him out, and he saw amazing grace. He saw the, the amazing grace of God, and he was overwhelmed. That's why he calls himself the least of the apostles, the worst, the chief of sinners when he describes himself because he knows what his heart was before he met his Redeemer. There we go. So we're, we're caught up. That's kind of all of what happened. And so he's, he's, just, he's been told, hey, you know, you're just going to have to wait, but a guy is going to come, and he even knows his name's Ananias, and he's going to come, and he's going to lay his hands on you, and you'll be able to see again. All right? And so this is important because Paul... He has to stop, drop, and roll, right? He has to stop and rethink things and learn. But now there's a lot of damage that has to be repaired, right? And we'll see it. We'll see it in Ananias' own reaction to Paul. And then later to the, the Christians at Jerusalem. So there's a lot of things that have to happen here, and so God orchestrates it. And in verse 10 here, now we have Saul's meeting with Ananias now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So Ananias, it seems like this, his name means God has mercy. Isn't that fitting? It's a fitting name, isn't it? But he's a faithful Christian. He's got a good reputation in that city. Uh, and, and, and like the early church in Jerusalem, they were known to have, they, were, they had favor with all the people, it says. And he was one of those Christians. Stephen and Philip, they had good reputation in that city when here he has it in Damascus. The question is, was he the leader that Paul may have been coming to come get? Maybe. He was definitely a Christian, so he was, he was going to be the target of Paul for sure. But here he is. He says, here I am, Lord. And again, I talked to you about that already. That's reminiscent of what Samuel, little Samuel when God was calling him to ministry to be, he ends up being the last judge of Israel and the one who anoints the first king and the second king, the, the king who would be that model of the Messiah 
from whom the family of, of uh, from whom the Messiah would come, David, King, King David. But through this man, God was going to be, uh, you know, putting Paul in contact with the church. And so Ananias was going to be the one who would be verifying and giving, giving you know, credentials or credibility to Saul's conversion. Because when he lays his hand on him, what happens? And he prays for him. It says that the scales, something, something like, we're not sure if they were scales, but that's just a something like scales fell. There was a miracle. This is miraculous. Because all of a sudden he could see again. So this, this miracle actually gets referenced by, later on. That it was, this is part of, remember, the church was going to have to be convinced because Paul, Saul, was infamous for his rage and what he was doing. Ananias even said that. He said, "Uh, Lord, uh, we've heard the evil. He didn't call it the the bad, just kind of bad things. It's the evil he was doing, the wreaking havoc in Jerusalem. He was afraid, and and I don't blame him. Saul Saul was no shrinking violet. When you understand <laughs> what he came from and what he did to the church, the resiliency in this man, when God redeems him, you just see how he lasted. God used that toughness, that fierceness to, to give him just the, the steel to go through what he had to go through. He says, he, Notice what Jesus says. He says, I have shown him, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I've shown him how much what? He must suffer. He must suffer for the sake of my name. <laughs> Paul was going to suffer, but this, he was the man that God had chosen because he could do it. I'm not saying he could do it in his own strength, but he, he, this, this fierce Paul was going to be the guy to do it. And, and by the way, Ananias was told to go to a, to a specific street. By the way, that street is still there today, the street called Straight in Damascus. And he was going to go to a specific house, the house of Judas. We don't know who Judas is, not that I know of. And, and he was praying. Right? Wouldn't you be? <laughs> but here's the deal, though. When, he become, when you become a Christian, you become a prayer, don't you? Right? Because one, you recognize, uh, I need God. Uh, and, and he's my dad. And I need help. And he says he'll give me help. And he says that he loves me and he'll guide me and strengthen me and all these things. Paul became a prayer. And amazing. He's fasting, he's waiting, and he's waiting for a specific person. And he was told Ananias was going to come. So Ananias says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here in Damascus, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He had fear, and I totally get it. Paul, had a, he was infamous, an evildoer. He was causing havoc, tearing apart, trying to destroy the church. And it's funny, he was a delegate of evil. He was given authority by the chief priests. They were totally behind how he was going after the church. They, they weren't ignorant. They were behind him. They gave him the authority to do it. And that delegation changes here. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus has to, first of all, Ananias has to be ordered to go. Okay, I don't, yeah, that's good. Um, and, and, but he says he's a chosen instrument. He is going to be the one to carry out this next phase in God's plan to get the, king, to get the gospel out. 
but he, he's going to suffer. <laughs> and Philippians 1, 20, 28 and 29, or it verse 29, it says that it's been granted to you not only to believe in his name, but also to what? But also to suffer. It's been granted to you. <laughs> James says, hey, you know, consider it all joy when you suffer. Why? Well, it's producing character in you and it helps you grow up. <laughs> There's different verses. You're like, oh my goodness. But, but Paul, hey, he's going to suffer. He's going to suffer, but it's worth it because it's for the sake of his name. That's all throughout Acts, by the way. They were, they were praising, to, they were cons- praising God to be considered worthy to suffer for the sake of the name. Paul, he's now, he was going after these people who ever claimed the name of Christ, and now he's going to suffer for the sake of the name. Folks, if you're a Christian, you believe not just in God. Oh, I believe in God. I'm good with God. No, you have to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the person who claimed to be the one true God, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Those are Jesus' claims. You have to believe in Jesus Christ. I, I know most of you, and I know that you believe that, but I'm saying it clearly so that those two youngsters hear it, and anyone online hears it, and those two youngsters hear it, that you can't just be a, a, a religious, spiritual person. To be saved according to Jesus Christ, the one who proved he's God, the one who proved that he's the giver of eternal life, the one who can forgive sins, by the resurrection, he said, you have to believe in him, himself, Jesus Christ. Clear? We just have to be clear. Otherwise, we're doing no one any favors. To believe anything else is to doom yourself, to condemn yourself to an eternity in hell. I'm just saying what Jesus said. He was going to suffer, and he was going to rejoice for that privilege. And the early church rejoiced for that privilege. That pastor who turned himself in up in Canada because they continued to meet, and, and you know he's, he's spending some time in jail, he was not angry or upset. He, was count, he counted it worthy to, to suffer in a way. He wasn't being killed, but to suffer for the sake of the name. Here, Paul. <laughs> I'm going to read you guys. This is Paul. In, in 2 Corinthians, he, he gives a list of the things he suffered. 2 Corinthians was, was not the last of his letters. So his ministry, he might have had, man, I'll just make up a number, maybe two to five more years of ministry, and he suffered more towards the end. But here's a list of what he had suffered by this point. 2 Corinthians 11, and I'll read from 23 uh, on down to 33. You can turn there if you'd like, but I'll, I'll just read this to you. Here's what he did suffer, and this is not all that he suffered, but here's what he says. Are they servants of Christ, these, these false teachers who've been giving him a hard time? He's kind of debating uh, to the Corinthians about them, but here's what he says. I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. He didn't like bragging at all, but he has to do it here to give his credentials. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, not five, countless beatings, with, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. 40 lashes with cat of nine tails that rips you. I mean, it, 40 was, was supposed to kill you. So almost to the point of death here. Forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He cared for all these churches, these believers, so much. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? Jump forward just to Damascus, since we're talking about it. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas uh, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. That's a humbling way to leave a city. Oh, you guys, that's, <laughs> that's what he had to suffer for the sake of the name. And he ends up dying later for the sake of the name, being killed. <laughs> hey, Paul, you're going to be my chosen instrument. And by the way, you're going to suffer a lot. And Paul's like, yes, it's worth it. Oh, that we would have a better attitude, right? I, I wonder, I mean, I just, this challenges me. I mean, there's Christians right now facing persecution. In the last decade, there was probably the, some of the most persecution around the world of Christians that we've ever seen, ever, even compared to the early church. There's more people. There's more governments to do it. And so it's just going on around the world. We have it so easy here. You know, so just I'm a comfortable Christian because where we live and this challenges me. Would I be ready for it? Matter of fact, am I ready now? We're supposed to be thinking on these things. And I really encourage you, think about what you would do if, and then pray that God would give you the strength, right? But we're supposed to be thinking about that. God, give me the strength. Give me the, the conviction about who you are and what we believe and what, what is more important. I mean, what, are we go, what, are we, what have we gone through the last three weeks in church in the Sunday morning service? It's all about the fear of God or the fear of man. May we grow in our fear of God. Amen? Yeah. So here's Paul. He, he's, he's been through it. And he, but, or he, we read out of 2 Corinthians he was, but... But he's being told now at his conversion, this is part of what it's going to be to be my chosen instrument. So Ananias departed in verse 17 and, and entered the house, probably trembling a little bit. And laying his hands on him, on Paul, like he was told to do, he said, Brother Saul. Brother Saul? What does that mean? He's a Christian. He's a Christian. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, wait, here's an example here. There has to be laying hands on, and you have to get the two-step conversion, right? You get saved first, and then you get laid in, and you get the Holy Spirit come upon you. Is that what it's teaching here? No, don't forget. If that's what has to happen... There was no laying hands on of the Christians in Acts chapter 2. They repented and were baptized, and they, they were, there's tongue speaking, but it was the gospel. Remember, all throughout here, people will say, oh, you, gotta, you have to have the gift of the Spirit. It's like, hold on a second. There's a bunch of conversions in the book of Acts, and you can't pick one to say this is normative, right? You have to remember, Saul is an amazing transformation 
who, who was going to be the chosen instrument. He had a special calling, but he also had a lot of baggage, <laughs> right? He had a lot of sin, and it was important for this man to do what Christ said so that there'd be this miraculous, the, the, skin, the scales falling off, there's, he, he's going to have this special calling. Remember uh, David, when he, was, when he was chosen to be king, what happened? He was anointed with oil. Now, was that special magical oil? No, but it was a sign that he was going to receive a special guidance, a special experience of the Spirit. They, the kings of, of, of Judah, later, well, Israel and then later Judah, they were, they were given the Spirit to guide them as king. But here, it, he's being called in a special way to a special task, okay? So just keep that in there. So when people bring this up, if that is brought up, you can say, no, Acts is a book of transitions. And there's many ways people become saved in here. The Ethiopian eunuch, when he became saved, what does it say? It says, I want to get baptized. <laughs> and he got baptized, and then he was gone, and there went Philip. That's all that happened. Okay, so that's why this is a special case. He's an affirmed believer by Ananias, and, and, and he says, I've been, I, we have a divine appointment. The Lord Jesus told me to come to you. And then when he laid his hands on it, it says, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. How long do you have to wait to get baptized after you become a Christian? Ethiopian eunuch, right away. Paul right away. Okay, so important to think about Paul. Previous to becoming a Christian, did he have to get baptized as a Jew? What was the only thing he did with water when it came to religious exercise? Washing. It was, it was ritual cleansing. Who were the only ones who got dunked all the way and baptized? Before, this is before Jesus. Who were, huh? Gentile proselytes to Judaism. Gentiles. So when John the Baptist came along and he's telling the Jews, you must be baptized with a baptism for the repentance of your sins. That's why it was so shocking to the Jews. Many did it, the more common people, but the self-righteous are like, who do you think? What? What? And they were coming to come check him out. That's why they were there. If you go back to look in John and in the Gospels, you'll see why the, the religious establishment would come out saying, what's going on here? Because John was acting and looking like a prophet. A prophet hadn't been unseen for 400 years. And he's saying, you Jews have to be baptized. And they're saying, we're Jews, the children of Abraham, and we're Pharisees and Sadducees and priests and scribes. When the Messiah comes, we're in. We're the religious folk. He's saying, no, you got to repent for your sins. Jews didn't do that. you got to remember that. So when Paul gets baptized, it means he understands what he's getting into. It's an all-in kind of moment. All-in. <laughs> he got baptized. What is baptism? Is it a magical water or whatever? No, it's not. It's just like my wedding ring. Before, when I, if, I were to, if this were to come off my finger, does it mean I'm not married anymore? No. But I wear this because it's an external symbol of what's true of me on the inside. When I made that covenant with Renee, we did it before God and man, I became married. I'm a married to that woman. This is, it's an external thing I wear, right? That's all baptism is. Paul understood that, but it's very symbolic. 
It's hugely symbolic and with lots of meaning. Romans 6 just gives you a good taste of it. This is when you, when you go under the water, it's, you, it's symbolic of dying with Christ. And when you come out of the water, it's symbolic of rising to new life and the resurrection with Christ. So it's, it's very important. It's commanded of Christians. Matter of fact, the New Testament doesn't talk about it a ton because it was just expected. We've lost so much of that meaning today. But he knew it's a declaration to the public, I confess and belong to Jesus Christ. I'm obeying him. He's my master. And Paul would have understood. He, <laughs> I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I believe in Yahweh the Father. Guys, don't forget, he's a Jew. <laughs> Why was Jesus crucified? For saying he was Yahweh the Son. Paul, the Trinitarian formula was used by the early church. Matthew 28 says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul was saying, yeah, I believe that now. <laughs> He's going against his culture. He's going of all against all of his teaching, his pharisaical teaching. So guys, was his conversion true? Absolutely. He got knocked off his horse, and it rocked his world because he met Jesus, and it changed everything for him. And his message changed. His manner changed. His character changed. Wow. <laughs> so he was healed in this right here, filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and we just see his just, just amazing change happening, happening from persecutor to save to proclaimer. Um, just, it was an immediate miracle. It, was, it wasn't something that happened over days. It says right away, something like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, scales fall off of his eyes. But isn't it, it, it's kind of a great illustration when you think of 2 Corinthians 3.14. Here's this. Paul writes this later. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. He's using a picture of a veil in front of their eyes so they can't understand the gospel. Here, we got this miraculous thing happening where all of a sudden the scales are, it's, it's such a great illustration of what happens when you become a Christian. The scales fall away and you can understand things. It's like, oh, it, that makes sense. Have you guys ever been, had that experience? Like, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, well, he's God, yes. Imagine James, the half-brother of Jesus. <laughs> before, the res before the crucifixion and resurrection, my brother's crazy. They would mock him for claiming to be the Messiah. Hey, why don't you go up to Jerusalem, Jesus? You see it there's a couple times. I thought he was crazy. Afterwards, oh, my brother's God, and I'm willing to die for that. And he did. And he was the leader, one of the key leaders of the early church. The scales had fallen away, and he saw Jesus for who he truly was. Paul gets baptized right away, and you have, if you haven't been baptized, let's talk. Let's get you dunked. And again, that, sounds, that makes it sound trite. I don't mean that. But let's get you baptized. And I, I've had the privilege of being in the pool with a couple people here, getting baptized. It's just such a joy. It's so exciting because of what it means. If you haven't done it, let's do it. And... This is symbolic of being incorporated into, he says, brother Saul, into the family of God. So this is just the beginning of his introduction, and it's going to take time. <laughs> Get Ananias coming, and he has to be forced by the king. Hey, Ananias, go. <laughs> but I don't want to. Go. Okay. 
<laughs> but imagine what the rest of the church had to struggle with, and that's what was happening. So that fateful event, that, that from the Damascus Road experience to when Ananias, how many days is it? Three days. Isn't that a funny how there's certain day, you know, numbers in Scripture? But what a fateful turnabout, right? Three days. He goes from being a persecutor to having a new king. He's now a new creation in Christ with new life, new way of life. He's now in the spirit. He's not following the letter of the law. As a Pharisee, he knew the letter of the law. He's now following the spirit. He's got a new character. He's got a love for Christ. He's got a love for the gospel. He's got a love for the church, for people, even his enemies now. He considered the church's enemies. And if you were an enemy of Paul, he's coming after you. That's changed. Jew and Gentile alike. He has a new commissioning. He doesn't carry the, delig- the papers from the chief priest in the temple. He carries the commissioning from the king now. He's got a new community. That all changed. That fateful few days. So in verse 20, we start shifting into what happens. He, he, in his new commissioning, he now starts carrying out. He starts serving right away, right? And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues there in Damascus, saying he is the Son of God. There was a radical change, and it showed right away. He didn't go off to seminary. It says immediately because he knew the Scriptures. Now, if you become a Christian and you don't have much biblical background at all, yeah, there's time where you need to learn before you open your mouth too much. But what you do know, say it. <laughs> that song, uh, what is that? The song, uh, Jesus Loves Me, or not Jesus Loves Me. What was the one we just sang? Oh, How I Love Jesus. What are that? Those simple words. Oh, how I love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved me. Some of these truths are so simple. So say them. One of my favorite songs singing to the kids when they're little, Jesus loves me, this I know. How do I know that? For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but... He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Isn't that? Yes, those are simple truths. So if you only know that, say it. Right? And, but he knew a lot more. And he had met with the king. And he's rethinking scripture. He's been fasting and praying for three days. And he's got this commissioning. And boy, he went for it. He stirred up that area. Jesus was his focus. He said he was the son of God. Jesus isn't a criminal. He's not cursed of God. He is God. He's the Messiah. He's the king. Listen to what he says in Romans 1, 3 through 4, and this is what he believed. Concerning his son, who was descended from David, meaning he's the Messiah, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, how? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He preached that. He preached Jesus is the son of God. But he didn't just preach that. He wasn't just preaching mere data about Jesus being the Son of God, but you had to believe in him, and and you had to show obedience to him because he talks about later. We'll get to Acts 23 and Acts 26 where he gives his testimony over again, but he says this in Acts 26.20. He said, I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, And throughout the whole region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, what did he preach? That they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Meaning show that you repent by changing, following Jesus. So it was Jesus is the Son of God and you had to repent of your sins. You have to believe in him. He was going to the synagogues. 
Again, he was going to the synagogues before this confrontation with Jesus, carrying papers that they would all recognize from the chief priests so that he could get their help to get what? More of these Christians. Now he's going to the synagogue saying, Jesus is the Son of God. You got to believe in him. <laughs> Do you imagine what they would have thought? Wait a second. You're on our side, I thought. What's going on here? And the Christians. Imagine what they would have thought. Uh, are, are we on candid camera? <laughs> What's going on here? But again, that's, don't, don't forget. Because remember, I keep telling you, when you read Scripture, read it like you're there. This is a real story, real history. Imagine what the people experienced to, to think of the impact of what's going on. And all who heard him, oh, I'm sorry, and I forgot to say this, but from Galatians 1, 15 through 18, it says that he was in Damascus in that area for three years before he goes to Jerusalem. So it says that he was in Damascus and then in, in the Nabataean area, Nabataean Arabia means it's kind of deserty. It's southeast of Damascus, well, from you guys. Damascus is up here, Israel's down here. He was on the desert over here in, in Damascus, and it's northeast of, of Israel, of Galilee. It's even above Galilee a little bit. So he's in that area for three years. He's preaching, he's, he's defending, he's rethinking things, he's learning, he's growing strong, it says. Amazing. <laughs> this man, he's getting ready before he goes to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem's important. Why is Jerusalem important? That's the center still. The apostles are there. And he hasn't been accepted by them yet, and that's big. And we'll get to that. But he's, he's, he's persistent. He's, he's just going. He's boldly preaching. And again, there was, there, the public saw this happen. This didn't happen in secret. This happened in public. Verse 21 says, all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc? That word, it means ripping apart destruction in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name, upon this name, the name of Christ. And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? Like, what's going on here? You're supposed to be taking these Christians away and now you're preaching them that they're right. The central issue is this whole thing about Jesus. He, he, he's supposed to come and persecute those who called on this name, but now he preaches this name. And then we see what happened is that Paul, he was successful. And it should remind you, and it's really ironic, it should remind you of Stephen. Because Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin because he was going, he was disputing with the Hellenistic Jews, and it says that they couldn't defeat him when he would explain the scriptures. They couldn't. They were getting mad. They brought trumped up charges against him because they couldn't handle his preaching, his defending, his explaining of this Jesus from the scriptures. And Paul was having the same success. But Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by doing what? By proving that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one from that they were all expecting, from the line of Judah, right? The, he was going to be the one to come and deliver them, and he's proving, yeah, Jesus was that man. And he told you that he came because he had a bigger target than just the Romans, and he was right. He came to defeat sin, death, and Satan. He proved it by the resurrection of the dead, and you have to believe in him. 
and I'm going to show you from Psalm 110. I'm going to show you from Psalm 22. I'm going to show you from Isaiah 53 and all these other places in Scripture. Well, you know, Abraham, when he had to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. Oh, by the way, see the correlation in here? The, the, the ram that was given as the substitute. You think he was reteaching all this? It's amazing. I would love to hear this from this man. And we do. We get so much. We get it in the New Testament epistles, but there's more, I'm sure. He grew in strength. Again, listen to what they said about Stephen. Uh, men rose up and disputed with these Hellenistic Jews. They disputed with Stephen. This is in Acts 6, 9, and 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Sounds just like Paul. They, they, were they, they just couldn't handle him. So they plot to kill. Uh, they plot to kill him. Wait, their rage sounds just like what? His reaction to Stephen. He did the, they're doing the same thing. It's a turnabout, right? It says, And when he, many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Again, they were enraged, confounded, just like the reaction that Paul and the others had to, to, you know, his, to Stephen when he preached. Remember what they said in, in Acts 7.54? It says, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And what did they do? They ground their teeth. They were so angry. Matter of fact, when he made another statement about seeing Jesus at the right hand of the Father, they, it says that they, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. La, 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 la. They couldn't handle what he was saying. They couldn't dispute it. We've never seen that before in our own culture, right? He who yells loud wins. What? No. But we see that Paul's getting the same response from them. And when they had, and so he's lowered, he has to be, you know, he has to be lowered out this basket. It's humiliating, humiliating way to leave. But again, it should remind you of what happened in another basket. Moses being delivered, right? But when he, it says when he had come to Jerusalem, okay, remember this has been three years in Damascus in that area. And now he's finally coming to Jerusalem. Do you think they had gotten word about Paul's conversion? Well, of course. Do you think they're still a little bit skeptical? Absolutely. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. It's the first thing he tried to do. He didn't go off preaching right away. He went to join the church. I'm, I'm a Christian now. This is my family. And they were all afraid of him. <laughs> That's how bad he had been in Jerusalem. And they were all afraid for, of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Okay, they're real people, okay? Would you? You're, you're in this story too, right? You would have the same opinion? Good. But Barnabas, oh, we know Barnabas. Acts chapter 5, right? Or is it Act, end of Acts chapter 4? Here's a godly man in the church. And, what, and matter of fact, before this incident, he was known as Barnabas. He was called that. He was, that's not his real name. He was given this name because of how he was, his character. What does Barnabas mean? Son of encouragement. Someone who would come alongside. That word means to come alongside, to aid, to help, to support. Well, here he comes. Here's the man being the man. Barnabas, another faithful man, ready to be used by God. And here he is. And he's going to play an important role for the next several years. But Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles. He's going to make the official introduction. 
and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. This man, he was coming and saying, this man is a true convert. He, he came alongside to give him support. Folks, I've had people in my life who've done that, who've, who've come alongside, a coach or, hey, Brunziel, I'll help you. I'll help you in your changing and growing. And then they, he becomes a reference. He, be, he was my reference for many years. Still, still, if I had to put out a reference, he's still on there. But, but we, get to, we get to, I get to do the same now. Man, what a blessing to be able to do the same. But folks, we all, we all can be an encourager to somebody who needs it. So be available, but also be on the lookout for it too. Right? Kids need it, of course. But you know, mom and, moms and dads were kind of geared to wanting to love our kids and help. But you know what? Other people in the church need it too. So let's be aware. Let's be a Barnabas. Barnabas is one of my favorite uh, people in Scripture. I love that, where you can just be an, someone who pumps somebody up. And I don't mean just flattery, but really helping them want to take another step, want to keep going, want to stand firm, want to change, want to grow. I want to be that because I've had that to me, a coach or a Rene Brunzeal. Right? Don't, 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 don't lose opportunities to help somebody else. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort, but it's worth it. Barnabas, he's ready and he does this. How he had preached boldly. He said, this man preaches the name of Jesus Christ, right? So he went in. So at that point, Paul was able to go in and out among them at Jerusalem. So Barnabas serves as the introduction and it works. It, it happens. He's in. But what is he doing? Preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. What he did in Damascus, he's doing now, but he's doing it in Jerusalem. Uh-oh. Rounding up of all this. Well, the Sanhedrin. <laughs> this is only uh, maybe six months. Oh, no, no. Actually, it's, it's three. No, we're at now three years separate from that whole time. But these people are, there's a lot of the bad players are still alive. <laughs> he's preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Here we go again. But remember, the Hellenists, they're the ones from the Greek-speaking world. Ah, so now we see he is going to be going to the Gentiles. They keep coming up. But they were able to dispute him and win arguments. doesn't say that. But they were seeking to kill him, just the same as before. The same thing happens all over again. But here's the deal. He was only there for two weeks. Get that from Galatians 1.18. He'd only been there 15 days, and he's got the whole city in uproar. He's a lightning rod. <laughs> Think about it. Jews, what in the world our chief man to destroy the church is now their chief man? Well, not the chief man, but one of them. He's boldly proclaiming, and people can't, he's confounding them. <laughs> and he has even more of an opportunity than Stephen did because he, Paul, don't forget, what was he before his conversion? He was, the, he, Paul says, I was a rising star in Judaism. I was trained by the man, Gamaliel. I was the one who came with authority from the chief priest to go out of the country, up to Damascus, to carry out their wishes. He was the man. He had unique opportunity platform to reach a whole different, a broader uh, a group than Stephen did. 
and he will have more later. And folks, again, that reminds me of, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that we've all been given spiritual gifts, but it says it's up to the spirit to decide how much of it that you get, what mixture and all that. So some of us are going to have an opportunity to reach five people. Some are going to have an oppor- op- you know, opportunity to reach five billion people, Billy, uh, Billy Graham or whatever. But you know what? Is, is someone who has an opportunity to reach more more faithful? No, just be faithful with what God has given you and be faithful there. Well, Paul, though, is going to be given a bigger stage. He's going to pay a bigger price, but it's worth it. You're going to pay a price when you start opening your mouth for Jesus. It's okay. It's worth it. He's worth it, right? You can't take stuff with you. You can only take people with you. You can only, your soul is going to be facing one or two destinations for eternity, right? Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. I call this the tempest that is Saul because this guy caused a storm. He caused a storm in the church (laughs) and he caused a storm amongst unbelievers in Jerusalem and they wanted to kill him. Wanted to kill him. But here's the deal. What What happens here? Paul is sent away by who? The Jews? No, by the Christians. Why? Because he was causing so much turmoil. And, and he's just, so they send him away. It says, and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea, that's on the coast, and sent him off to Tarsus. Tarsus is, you know, where he, where he grew up, and it's up, up the, way up the coast into the ter- area of Turkey. And so, okay, he's got to go. And we'll, we'll catch up with him again later, but then what does it say? They sent him away, and then what happens in the church? And so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee, so from south to north, and Samaria had what? Peace. <laughs> now, it's, it's not a bad thing about Paul, but this guy caused a storm. And he is going to cause a storm. And we'll see that as it happens and unfolds in the, in the world of the Gentiles, right? But what a, what a man. And when he left, the church was what? Had peace and was being built up. God is still carrying forward his plan and walking in what? What did they walk in? The fear of the Lord. Talk about applicable to uh, our sermon series, right? They walked in the fear of the Lord. Folks, and again, listen to all of what Lance has been preaching about. We need to be growing in the fear of God because the fear of God is the beginning place of real wisdom, right? It's the beginning of wisdom and of understanding and of instruction. But the fear of man is a snare. He didn't fear man. But he did say he was afraid at times. Being afraid doesn't mean that you don't have the fear of God. It, just, it means if you paralyze and you compromise, that's a different thing, right? So, folks, I, I pray that, I mean, as you, I read this, I'm just challenged. I mean, God's plan, look at who he, <laughs> he picks the worst guy in the world that we would think from our perspective, and he becomes the chief instrument to reach the gospel, people with the gospel. He's my chosen instrument. Folks, no one is beyond the reach of God. No one. said this last week, but that, the, we had a time last Sunday after church uh, to hear the new, candid, or new member candidates, and they give their testimonies. And, and several of them, one of the guys was talking to me, and he said that I, I'm ashamed to share. And I said, don't you ever be afraid to share of what happened in your heart because it's a miracle whether you were raised in a Christian home or you were the worst of sinners. It's still a miracle, so share it. And you know what? The sin that we've done in the past, yeah. It's, it's shameful. I mean, I've done things. But you know what? You've been redeemed. You've 
been redeemed. We've got a redeemer. There's nothing too big for him. He is our powerful God. He uses the biggest, the littlest, the mightiest, the smallest. He can use anybody and save anybody. Don't ever forget that. All right? Okay? Be encouraged. That's, that's the God we believe in. And God's building his church. Christ is continuing to build his church, and it's exciting to see. doesn't matter what facilities you have or don't have. If you've got webcams or not, just be the church wherever you're at. And there's more to say, but that's, we'll just leave it at that for now. So it's the same thing, just seeing different people in the story who God uses and brings into the story to shape and to keep his plan moving forward. An Ananias, a Barnabas, a Philip, a, a, a Stephen, and we'll see another names later. Regular people just being faithful and ready to be used by God because God is good and we've got a mighty Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for our time in your word. Thank you for uh, the story of Paul, and well, Saul at this point, but Paul, just Lord, to see the changes you did in him, and Lord, what a, what a, just an amazing example of what you do in our hearts. We may not have the dramatic conversion, being knocked off a horse, seeing a bright light, and having you talk to us directly, <laughs> but anytime someone becomes a Christian, it's still a miracle from death to life, from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. For someone who's deaf and blind, now they can see, now we can hear. It's an act of your spirit regenerating us, helping us hear the call, and not and in seeing the grace that's available, and, and, hear, and seeing what you've done for us on the cross, and then we're just, uh, just enveloped by the, just the amazingness of your, of your love towards us in Christ Jesus, and we can't resist it. We wouldn't want to. So, Lord, as we see this, we're just so thankful to see this in real life to a real man and to see real people just experiencing this and being used. And, and Lord, I, I pray that this story uh, that, that ends in Acts chapter 28 doesn't really have an ending. So I'm thankful for that because we are the continuation of what you've been doing building your church around the world. And Lord, you've put us here in this area to be your people, changing and growing imperfectly for sure. But Lord, we, we are to be people on display uh, of people who want to change and grow, want to be a blessing to others. So Lord, I pray that we would be so good at declaring that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life declaring that they, if they want to know the Father, they have to go through you. Lord, to, for their forgiveness of sins, for Lord, to, to get your righteousness so that they'd be you know, acceptable if they're in Christ. Lord, I just pray that people would know you. And I, Lord, I pray we would be fit instruments in your hands to declare your glories and, Lord, to help people know you and know eternal life and then to change and grow over time, to be a Barnabas. So, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for tonight. And, uh, Lord, may you use us this week and, and beyond for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.